Sean, and welcome back to another Isaac and SFU podcast. Uh, today, we have a very special guest, uh, Tara Holland, who is a professor at SFU, and we're going to be focusing on some environmentalism today. So to start us off, um, Tara, you have some experience in community engagement. So what role does community engagement play in combating the impacts of climate change? Yeah, I mean, hi, Sean. It's good to see you. Um, it's, uh, that's a really good question. I guess, I guess I'm going to answer that with a bit of a question to you, which is what, what do you mean by community engagement in this context? Yeah, so just in terms of that is like informing the public, uh, getting them involved in activities and getting them involved in trying to take steps towards, you know, reducing their carbon footprints and things like that. Yeah, it's such a great question and, and point. So, I mean, my thing, and it's not just my thing, but it's fact that people, you know, they only are going to be motivated to act if it's something that um, they care about, right? That they've experienced that affects them in some way. And something like climate change, um, for example, still to, to many people, it seems like this kind of abstract thing, right? That maybe is happening, maybe it's happening in the future. I think most people are probably convinced that it's it's a real phenomenon right now, but they might not understand how it affects their lives personally, right? And so if you don't understand that, then it can be hard to motivate yourself to act. Um, I mean, you know, right now, and we'll probably get into this later, like it, literally the signs of climate change are all around us. We're living in like the worst heat wave ever experienced in Canada right now. Um, so people are, I think, starting to wake up a little bit to how it is impacting their lives. But you know, that's sort of step one is to, if you wanna link with people and to get them um, uh, to become an activist of some kind or even take steps in their own life, it's first to, to be able to link what's happening to something in their life that they care about. So whether that's you know the community where they live and how it's impacting people that live there, um, think about how it will impact future generations in terms of our like water resources, for example. Um, uh, how it will impact food security for people. So kind of um, getting away from just the environmental impacts of climate change to those social impacts, I think really helps to get people on board. Yeah, and in your experience, have you found like that maybe some of those specific and personal impacts are more common and more impactful for people than others? Um, it depends on the person, I think. So it depends on where you live, um, what your sort of demographic status is, what, what communities you belong to. And I mean that community in the broadest sense, right? Um, like, and the reason I asked you what you meant by community engagement is that the whole community piece is so important too. Like it's, it's easier, not easier, but more um, inspiring, I think, for people to take actions if they feel like they're part of a community that's doing this, right? Like they're not on their own and thinking it's, it's very easy to get sort of um, depressed about the idea of climate change and thinking like, well, I'm trying to do these things on my own, but that's not going to make a difference, right? Like it, it's easy yeah. to fall into that line of thinking, I think. Um, but if you, if you feel like you're acting as part of a community, whatever, however you define that community, then that can be really powerful and empowering, I think, for people to know that they're not alone and it's like a more uh, coordinated effort among people. Yeah, you definitely see that a lot. Like it's definitely going around people, like especially with the realization that the majority of um, pollutants are from like the top 100 companies or something in the world. And people are like, well, 
So what's my impact? What's me like reducing my waste? How am I going to make a difference? So I really love that point because, you know, like ever since taking one of your classes, I've tried to, you know, try to spread that. <laughs> like, no, yeah. no, we can do this. Like they're easy choices that we can make every day. So trying yeah. to, yeah, make that kind of chain effect through the people that you're close with. And hopefully that'll make an impact later on. Yeah. Um, so what would you say then, because we talked a bit about like engaging people, um, but what is education's role in achieving the sustainable development goals and just other goals in terms of like our, like personally or like for companies, things like that? Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, education for one, um, part of the role is just to make people aware that A, that the sustainable development goals exist because I'm sure a lot of people have never heard of them, um, you know? So that, that's the number one thing is you can't, you're not gonna do anything about something that you don't know exists, right? Um, so that's a, a key thing right there. Um, and, and I think just education wise, like um, kind of people letting students or, you know, at whatever level, um, introducing them to the, what the SDGs are, the Sustainable Development Goals are, and especially to understand how linked they all are. Like, that's the thing. There's so many solutions to these big environmental and social problems that are all linked together. And in fact, you know, actions that can help um, combat climate change can also combat and, and really kind of have to combat a lot of these other um, issues as well, like poverty reduction, like you know, environmental justice and um, education is in there, uh, quality for women, all of these things are wrapped up together. Um, so I think education plays a role there to make people realize how interconnected everything is um, in the earth system, but also social systems. And that if we start kind of working on these goals, we find, you know, that they're all, all linked to one another and that we can make really big change um, by by thinking about that the way with the way that we're addressing them. Yeah, and that kind of ties in with the whole systems thinking idea, right? Like where can we adjust something here that'll make a chain reaction um, farther down, all these things. And I, I it's always shocking when when you when you said not everyone knows about the SDGs. And that my first reaction was always like, that's so strange, right? But I, I've honestly had conversations where people are like SDG, like what are those, right? And then you try and explain the framework and it's a pretty complex framework um, with the targets beyond the goals and, <laughs> and the measurements yeah. beyond the targets. But yeah, I think, I agree. I think awareness is a big part for everybody. And sort of on that note, actually, um, what are some key topics and issues that you think BC residents uh, should be aware of in terms of uh, environmentalism and climate change? Well, oh my gosh. I mean, it's pretty hard to, there are a lot, of course, um, but it's pretty hard to not just talk about climate change right now. I mean, as I said before, and I, I knew this would come up, you know, we're so as we're recording this, as we're speaking, we're in the middle of a historic heat wave in Canada. Um, you know, in BC, there were uh, some areas had three days in a row of over 40 degrees Celsius, right? Um, people are dying. Like there's a there's been an uptick in sudden deaths um, directly related to this heat. Uh, and it's really, you know, I mean, we can't, scientists are very hesitant to attribute any one weather event to climate change, but we know as one of the big impacts of climate change that it's changing those ex 
weather on the extreme ends of the spectrum, right? Like we're seeing um, stronger magnitude and higher frequency of these extreme events like um, heat waves like this. Um, so, you know, it's, it's like, these are gonna happen more and more. And I think this one that we're experiencing right now um, highlights that we're not at really in a place to be able to adapt to these kinds of changes, right? Like most homes and or I think two thirds of homes in BC don't have air conditioning, for example. Um, and so we're seeing those impacts right now. And then, you know, associated with these really high temperatures, we're having record flood air, really high flooding anyway. We always get high spring flooding here, but you know, snow melt in is happening so rapidly in the mountains right now because the temperatures are so high. So rivers are flooding and that's um, affecting residents. There's evacuation orders and things like that. Um, you know, we're going to have a hugely increased wildfire risk now. And that's something that we've also been dealing with in BC over the last um, several summers is increasing incidence of wildfires. Um, so, you know, all of, again, all of it's connected, right? And the, all of those three that I just mentioned are obviously related to climate change and um, everybody should be worried about this. And when I talked about um, people needing to sort of see how it connects to their lives in order to take actions, like people are seeing that right now, like you would have to be blind to not notice the things that are happening right now. So I think, you know, there's a lot of talk these days about how um, climate change change is impacting things like this heat wave. And so in a way it's good to see that um, being talked about more, I think. Um, and it's just gonna keep happening, you know, unless we just slash our greenhouse gas em emissions right now. And hopefully that's, you know, at, at this point I've been teaching about this for so long that it's like, what is it gonna take for people to actually um, really start acting on this? And, and so many people are for sure, um, don't get me wrong, but yeah, the signs are pretty clear and pretty loud right now. That's even funny thinking about, you know, greenhouse gases and all of our air pollution at the start of, I remember at the start of COVID-19, there was no cars on the road. And from my house, which is like pretty far, I'm in like a more suburban area, but I, I could see the mountains clearly and everyone was like, wow, this is what it's supposed to be like, you know, like it's yeah. been 10 days with no cars on the road and already our air quality looks better, it feels better. And then, you know, months later, everyone's already all back on the road. And now our air quality is so much worse now because of this heat wave. Yeah. And I definitely agree. You'd either have to be blind or walking around with some ice packs all over your body to not notice this because I don't know about you, but I've never existed in this heat. No. Um, and my house is one of the ones without AC. So <laughs> yeah, same. I, I know we're everyone's melting here for sure. Yeah. Um, but you, you mentioned forest fires, which leads to that last question that I had for you, which was, um, you have experience in forest fragmentation. Um, so, I mean, this heat wave especially is a really special case of, you know, like climate change impacts, but there's also that projection of the West Coast drying um, over the next uh, couple decades. Um, so how do you think this will impact forest fires altogether? Yeah, I mean, it's it's a double whammy again. So um, the, the heat and mixed with the drying um, for sure impacts the forest. I mean, it creates more what's called fuel for forest fires. And by fuel, I mean like uh, dead leaves and branches and um, grasses and things like that on the forest floor that will ignite um, and start fires. So uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, 
fires are projected to increase um, certainly. And I mean, fires are, wildfires are interesting because of their, their natural phenomenon and they're actually necessary for ecosystems. Um, but the problem is of course, there's a few problems with them. One is that humans are often in the way of them, right? We live right close to the forest often. Um, so it puts human lives and livelihoods at risk um, when there's more fires, but also it's uh, an amplifying feedback for climate change because the more forests that burn, the more carbon dioxide is released into the atmosphere that increases the warming and that increases the amount of fires, right? So it's this amplifying feedback cycle um, that's really unfortunate. So yeah, I mean, more drying, higher temperatures will mean more fires. For sure. Yeah, it's a bit of a, a scary positive feedback. I remember learning that term thinking, oh, positive feedback, you know, that's a good thing. No, <laughs> quite the that's opposite in a lot of these cases, right? That's why um, when I'm talking, I never use the term positive feedback. I always call it amplifying because a lot of people think the same way. It's human nature, right? Like you think positive mm -hmm. and negative is bad, but when it comes to feedback, there's no value judgment. It's just describing what the process is like. So, yeah. Yeah. I did have a question um, that I had not sent to you earlier, uh, but the, I don't know if you've had encounters with people that are resistant to the idea, but what, it, what do you usually say to people that are resistant to accepting that our climate is changing because of human impacts? Like how do you go about that conversation with people? Yeah, again, I, it, I, I don't think I've come across many, um, well, that's not true. Recently, I haven't come across any sort of straight up climate change deniers. Um, you know, in the past though, I, I for sure have. Um, but so I think it comes back to um, what we were talking about earlier with this idea of um, you have to meet people where they're at kind of thing, right? So you know, I, I'm not going to, if someone comes at me with a saying, they just don't believe that climate change is happening. They're not going to be convinced by me showing, like giving them a lecture about like, look at the, how the CO2 is rising in the atmosphere, right? That's not going to, they're not going to care about that. And they probably wouldn't believe me, but they might care if I can link it to something that matters to them. Like, you know, oh, do you live in Delta and, <laughs> you know, do you care that the sea level is going to end up rising and you know, overtopping the dikes and things there. Um, you know, just like focusing more on the the impacts, I think, than sort of the science, even though it's, you know, I'm a scientist and I think it's really important to understand the fundamentals of what's actually happening. But if someone really just doesn't believe it, just trying to, um, you know, not, not be judgmental of them, but try and talk to them in a way that, um, uh, yeah, just kind of share like, oh, what about these impacts? Or have you noticed things like this that have changed in your lifetime if it's an older person, for example? Um, yeah, it's a, it's a fine balance. It's tricky for sure. Yeah. yeah it, and it kind of depends like case to case, I would say on the person and what where you can find that sort of common ground and like dig in from there a little bit. Yeah, people definitely have like their personal experiences with a lot of different things because we've all grown up in like different regions, different like households with different values. So I definitely agree with that. Um, but out of curiosity, how did, you know, I know that your background's in geography and environmental sciences, but how did you really fall into that? Like, where did it start for you? Oh gosh. Um, 
it started way back. I think like when I was a kid, I've just always loved being outside. So again, it's, it's, I, I ended up in this field because I care about, no pun intended, because, because I care about it, right? Like I loved nature. I grew up like playing in the forest all the time. It was my favorite place to be. Um, so I was always very interested in the natural world. Um, kind of knew I would go into something environmental. You know, my path though, career-wise was very windy. Like I, I started out in environmental engineering in university because I thought that would be interesting. Did not like it. <laughs> So switch to like biological science, that was better. And then, yeah, just as I continued through grad school, started getting more and more focused into um, like human impacts on the environment and doing research around that. And then, uh, yeah, including like the, the sort of social aspect of that as well. So kind of mixing physical science research with social science research because the human part is so important. Um, yeah, and that's what drew me more toward geography. So I, I really like the bridge between environmental science and geography. Um, yeah, so it's been a very kind of windy route, but yeah, and I've done all sorts of different research on different aspects of, of the environment too. Um, yeah. Is there a key, maybe research that you'd like to share before we log off today with people? Um, I mean, I guess I've had lots of interesting, yeah, trying to I mean, yeah, no, one of my favorites though, was actually, um, the research that I did for my master's. Um, so I, I was given this very <laughs> open-ended project by my master's supervisor. Um, basically I was told there's a lagoon in Mexico, the West coast of Mexico, that's experiencing environmental problems. Do you want to go research it? <laughs> well, yes, of course. I'd love to go live in Mexico for a while, but that was basically it. Like I didn't know, you know, what the focus was going to be. Um, so it was this really great, like kind of just inquiry-based research where I got to go and go there and talk with local researchers. Um, and I was um, partnered with like the, the university there. Um, it was like a little coastal research station from the University of Guadalajara. Um, and yeah, I got to know the lagoon, like paddled around it and, you know, looked at a bunch of studies that had been done on it and then realized um, a lot of the, so it was getting increased sedimentation and pollution and a whole bunch of things for various reasons. But one of those reasons was all of the land use changes that were happening in the whole watershed um, upstream from this lagoon. Uh, so I ended up doing like a satellite image based um, analysis of what those changes were and found that, you know, there were huge palm plantations that were being um, planted upstream from the lagoon and that was affecting what was coming downstream. There was a golf course that had been built right on the shore of the lagoon as part of like a big tourism complex, all these things, right? Um, and it was also interconnected. So it was really amazing research to do as quite a young researcher and to be able to just kind of create this research question on my own and really just run with it. Um, yeah, and it was amazing because I, I got to work with this team um, and eventually that lagoon actually, because of a little bit of my research and everyone else's research who was working on, in the same area, eventually that lagoon got designated as a Ramsar protected wetland area. So that's an international um, protection status. Um, again, just based on, because of all of the environmental damage that had happened. And it was so important for local people's livelihoods, like fishers and 
all these sorts of things as well as very biodiverse. Anyway, so it was just really cool. It was pretty amazing to be a part of that for um, like a master's project. Yeah, that sounds incredible. Like so fulfilling to like go down there, have no idea what you're getting into and figure it out and then come out successful by having it protected, right? Like that's a pretty, it sounds almost like a, a pretty rare story too, right? You don't hear a lot of that happening. Yeah. And I mean, I, would, I don't mean to say like it was my my research project that got it protected, but it was part of it. You know, it was, it was pretty cool. And it was years later when that happened. But yeah, it was amazing. Uh, it was a great experience for sure. And I still keep in touch with like my um, colleagues that I met down there too. That's awesome. Um, I guess my last question for you um, would be like, do you have any recommendations for like students, youth, or anyone trying to get more involved or lessen their impacts? Yeah, I mean, so in terms of getting involved, there's so many great student groups on campus, even at SFU um, that you can get involved with, right? So uh, it pretty, you name it, like there's a group for what you're interested in. So again, that's part of finding your community, right? Like that's such a great um, way to get involved with whatever you're passionate about. Um, volunteering, same thing. There's there's lots of environmental organizations in the Vancouver area um, and everywhere that need volunteers. So that's that's a great um, thing to do as a student or anybody really. But um, to also like find out again like where your passions lie and what you're most interested in. Um, and yeah, I mean personal actions for. Do you mean for climate change or just environmental? activism in general. Any of it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's so many, right? Like everyone knows the kind of the basic ones, I think, but climate change wise, really the biggest, uh, you know, just try and cut your personal carbon footprint as much as you can. So whether that's going car free, or at least reducing your reliance on a, a gas powered car, um, you know, walking and biking more, all those sorts of transit options, flying less, like transatlantic flights, use so much have so many carbon emissions associated with them so try and avoid that you know once a year if you can um uh yeah and I mean really the the biggest point of leverage that we all have though is our vote you know so like making sure that our politicians actually are putting climate change at the front of their agendas um and holding them accountable to that so that's, that's really huge. And that would, that's really where the biggest change obviously needs to happen. Like we can all make our important individual actions um, and they count for sure. They absolutely do, but the, the big change needs to happen at a higher level, but we can be part of the solution that helps to push for that. Right. And we're seeing that already, you know, the, the climate crisis movement is being led by um, the youth right now. It's, it's students. So there's tons of power there. You just need to harness it. <laughs> yeah, it's always it's always amazing to see the power of the people, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, okay, that's all the time we have for today. So thank you so much for joining us. Um, I'm sure that everyone is going to learn a lot listening to this. And yeah, so thanks again. My pleasure. Thanks a lot for having me. It's been great chatting. Yeah.